Over the years, I've listened to um, far more sermons than I could ever number. Um, I enjoy and I'm so deeply enriched by a faithful uh, preaching, faithful declaration of what God has said and is saying. And over the years, um, I don't want to say I'm a fan of preaching because that minimizes the the richness of the preached word and even the prophetic word. But I enjoy listening to men and women declare on behalf of the Lord truths that are designed for his glory and the good of those that are listening. So I listen to, I almost never listen to music in my vehicle. If I do, it's, um, it's typically, uh, instrumental music that's background noise while I, I pray while I'm driving. I just don't listen to much music anymore. I listen to a ton of preaching and a ton of podcast and teaching and prophetic ministry. Uh, I think with all of the noise and the messages that um, are coming out from the world, that you're not even more than likely aware of how much you are internally influenced by external messaging. Um, so I just decided years ago I was going to stay proactive in making sure I am intentionally feeding my spirit with uh, the Word of God. Um, I have an hour drive one way to work. Um, I call it work. <laughs> it's work for me. So, I mean, you guys would say to the church, but um, it's the place where, you know, Monday through Friday, a lot of time we're just dealing with um, different aspects of ministry. And so it doesn't always feel like you're, you're you know, riding on cloud nine. A lot of it is, you know, trench, trench warfare, planning, you know, d- discipline, emails, phone calls, all that stuff. So um, on my way in, uh, about an hour and 10 minute drive from my home in Dawsonville to uh, the church in Bethlehem, um, I just sometimes I just spend the whole time listening to the Bible on audio. And the reason why is not because I'm super spiritual. Um, the reason why is because I want to be in control of everything I can that influences my internal atmosphere. And I've just found that the preached word and the written word, and in this case, it would be, um, you know, on a a recording, an MP3 or a Bible app or what have you to have the word um, read to me. All of that just helps me. And what I've noticed over the years is I benefit from a lot of different types of ministry, types of ministers types of preachers or teachers or pastors or prophets. I, I'm, I'm blessed by a variety of people that are operating in their gifting. And the beauty of it is that, you know, Jesus is ultimately the point. He's the focus, but there's a lot of instruction about kingdom living, morality, truth, eschatology, the events of the end time, Um, marriage, cultural issues, anything to me that's helping me view life and the world I live in through the lens of the Word of God, I'm going to be a fan of. Here's what I've noticed over the years is that people gravitate towards one certain type of proclamation. And at times, those same people who are very enthusiastic about a certain type of communication or emphasis in ministry and Um, aspects of the word of God, they will delight in that one lane, but they'll neglect everything else that God says that sounds different than what they have accommodated or acclimated their taste to. 
what, what, what am I talking about here? Well, I, I think that we need to, we need to be people who return to a place where we're cultivating an, an Acts 2027 20, um, appetite. In the book of Acts chapter 20, verse 27, the apostle Paul, after spending a long time with the people of Ephesus, is leaving them. He gathers their elders that he had trained up and appointed and raised for the church of Ephesus. He's saying, goodbye, I'm not going to see you ever again, but I'm turning over this work to you. And he validates his ministry to them. I think it was like a three-year ministry. He validates that three years. Apostles don't usually stay in one place for three years. And so Paul spent an unusual time there. And he says to them that he had not failed to declare the whole counsel of God to them. And that phrase for me over the years has served as an anchor point about what um, a consistent ministry should look like to declare the whole counsel of God. And if I can go out on a limb here, that's not a popular way in our generation and in our culture for people to operate anymore. They seize on one aspect of the kingdom and they become a specialist in that area. Or they become just so narrow with their passions that they don't have time to explore, much less communicate much else besides that one thing that they have been made passionate about from God. So if you've got a true evangelist, he's going to view everything in the kingdom from the standpoint of who needs to be saved and how are we going to get the message of the cross to them. And then if you get a prophetic person or an actual prophet, they view everything from the lens of confrontation about righteousness. What is God saying to prepare us to stand before him? And amen to that and amen to people getting saved by the passion of the evangelist and a, an apostle, an apostolic leader can be so fixated on the big picture that he ends up caring very little for the details or the people that, you know, are following his leadership. He's just so fixated on the big picture. He just actually doesn't care much for details and anything that slows the apostle down in a stereotypical way. And this is not all apostles, but this can be an unhealthy aspect anything that slows them down for five minutes and distracts them from the big picture or the mission. Apostolic people can say, yeah, I don't have any use for that. Let somebody else do that. And the opposite is that is the teacher. The teacher can be so fixated on precise details and or doctrines that they end up becoming relationally aloof or they end up disengaging from the mission because they think and feel that they must just rehearse over and over and over in greater detail and depth the doctrines or the truths of Scripture. So I'm going through the five. Oh, I left off pastor. Well, what about a pastor? A pastor can get caught up on the need to keep the sheep, keep the flock safe and comfortable that that pastor fails to challenge them or rebuke them or require anything of them. Now, all of these are just basic misuses or incomplete. Let's call it that incomplete uses of the gifts that God gives us. But friends, if we're going to be, and I'm, I'm talking both to you that follow leaders and you who, who are leaders in the kingdom, what about this whole thing about declaring the, the whole counsel of God, the entire will of God, the, and by application for us, everything that the Bible says, how can we focus on morality and righteousness, but be completely silent on issues of, of justice? 
Or how can we all be about, you know, justice and civil rights and then ignore issues about the sanctity of life and morality? And often those two things go hand in hand. A lot of people that are very um, committed to social justice will not say a word about the issue of abortion. And those are, those are tendencies in the church. And by the way, the opposite is true, lest I offend only one group listening. There's a lot of people who will talk all day about um, you know, biblical marriage, talk about the nuclear family as God has given in Scripture, and talk about the sanctity of life, and will almost dismiss the concept that there's injustice in the land. And so when, when I started out my journey um, as a Christian and then later as a, a minister, um, I wanted to be well-rounded. I wanted to be balanced. I wanted to be comprehensively um, informed from the scripture. And I want to stay that way. I want to listen and hear what is God saying? Because what if God wants to talk to you about something you're not passionate about personally? What if the Lord wants to harness your voice, your platform, if you've got one, um, your influence, and everybody's got that. You all have some influence with some people somewhere. Um, They may be the two people you work most with or somebody in your family or somebody in the neighborhood. But what if God decides you as his not only son or daughter, but as his servant, what if he decides, I, I really want you to spend some time investigating biblically this issue that's important in my heart. I know you're not very passionate about it, but my question would be, my child, are you passionate about me enough to investigate and start speaking on things that you yourself do not find passion for? And, you know, we, we, we have the danger of just kind of blowing off the leadership of the Holy Spirit because it's not something that necessarily cranks our truck. And Paul said, hey, guys, I'm leaving you here at Ephesus and I've got to go, but I'm I'm leaving with a clean conscience because I did not fail to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. I was reading recently in the book of Lamentations, which is a very intense book that deals with the historical destruction of Jerusalem and the aftermath of it as Jeremiah is writing down what he sees as Israel is being Um, chastised for their sins against God as the Babylonians come in and invade and destroy the temple and destroy the city and leave it surrounded and people are dying and starving. It's It's not a very delightful book to read, but again, it's the whole counsel of God. You can't skip Lamentations and just, you know, go straight to Isaiah 35 all the time, which is about renewal and restoration and breakthrough and transformation and all this good stuff that's easy to hear and easy to preach. Sometimes you got to get in the book of Lamentations. And there's a statement, it's, I, I don't think, I know I haven't ever preached it, but I don't know that I've ever heard a message on Lamentations 2.14. And this deals a little bit with what I'm kind of leaning into. In Lamentations 2.14, God says this, Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. Now, that's the Almighty speaking to Israel, who's on the backside of being disciplined uh, by the Almighty for their sins. And God says, here's part of the reason why you're in the trouble you're in. Because the prophets you chose for yourselves have dreamed up false and deceptive visions. And they have not exposed your sin. They have not called you out on your sin. 
And if they had, you would have been able to have your fortunes restored, but you didn't because instead of telling you the truth, they declared false and deceptive visions and have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. And so I'm thinking about the day in which you and I are living. And some of you that are listening, you don't really, you don't really flow with a prophetic culture. You may even not even believe in prophecy. That may be a podcast for a different time. I've touched on it regularly on Mavericks and Misfits. But for today, um, for the sake of time, I'm just going to say for those of us that believe in a prophetic culture, not just the didactic teaching from the written word of God, but what is God freshly saying right now? What is he speaking right now? It'll never be in opposition to the written word, but to say that the only way that God communicates is only through the written word is to deny the actual words of the written word. Jesus said, my, my sheep will know my voice and they'll follow me. He didn't say my sheep will read my book, which by the way, read his book, <laughs> read the Bible, but there are, it's not an either or it's an and both. And so in a prophetic community, there's a responsibility for somebody who presumes to speak in the name of the Lord. One, they need to make sure that they have that actual calling Two, they need to have that actual gift. And you get that gift according to first Corinthians 12, 13 and 14 by eagerly desiring the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So you need to pray for the depth and the gift and the honing of the skill, uh, supernatural empowered skill of being able to prophetically speak the word of the Lord. And you must grow in that. And what we're living in right now, and I'm an unapologetic charismatic, I believe in prophetic culture, but let me tell you what I've seen. I've seen a lot of people that are so ridiculously immature with that gift and so desperate to be heard that any thought that pops into their head, they're declaring this is the word of the Lord because they feel it, because they heard it in their spirit, because um, you know they're expected to give a prophetic word because people know them as somebody that flows in words of wisdom, words of knowledge, or prophetic dreams, and so on. And there's this ridiculous amount of um, human immaturity that has kind of corrupted and at least contaminated uh, a lot of the prophetic movement. And so what God is saying in the book of Lamentations, he's saying there, your prophets have seen fake, false, and deceptive visions, meaning the stuff that they're seeing from their soul or in their head or on their emotions is not from me. That's what God's saying. I didn't give them that. Oh, they have the title of prophet. They have the willingness to speak. They have credibility with man, but God's almost waving his hand saying, hey, you need to use discernment because a lot of this stuff is not coming from me. And it's got so bad that these false prophets started having to compete to gain audiences. So everybody's saying the good stuff. Oh, God wants to bless you. God wants to prosper you. God's going to bless you with this. He's going to eradicate your enemy. He's going to give you this breakthrough. He's going to send this bonus. He's going to touch your body. He's going to provide that spouse. He's going to anoint your barren womb. He's going to increase you and all this stuff. You know, I mean, like false prophecy hasn't changed much over the years. At the root of it, it's got ignorance and manipulation on it. And so what the Lord has said in uh, the book of Lamentations in chapter 2, verse 14, he says, I was actually telling them to expose your iniquity. That's what he says. It's right there. He says, if they had exposed your iniquity, you could have repented. And if you had repented, I could have restored your fortune. I could have begun to bless you again. But for however long Israel's prophets, so-called prophets, were operating in negligence, 
instead of God, God's message of repent being proclaimed, it was all, hey, everything's great. Peace, peace. It's wonderful. Oh, don't worry about the fact that the Assyrians have taken the northern tribes. We're in Judah and we're safe and we're perfectly fine. Nothing's going to happen to Jerusalem. And meanwhile, God is bellowing from heaven to any prophet that will listen. Tell them to repent because disaster is coming. By the way, that's Jeremiah's other book. The book of Jeremiah is Jeremiah being very faithful to tell everybody to repent. And nobody did. Read the book of Jeremiah. It's really long, but read it. You'll find nobody repented. And so now, because they didn't repent, Jeremiah is coming behind, still being faithful to the voice of the Lord. And now the Lord is saying, if your prophets that you were listening to had actually given you the message I was giving, then you could have repented and you would not be in the place that you're in right now. But instead, they drew up these fantasy oracles, these spokesmen and spokeswomen for God, they drew up these false and misleading prophetic words. And God said, yeah, I didn't send that person. God said, I didn't send that message. So why am I harping on this today? Uh, because we need to clean up the prophetic. Like there's a reason why people look at the charismatic church a lot of times and say, I don't want to have anything to do with that nonsense. Is because we're so, um, we, we, we lack, and I'm thinking, the collective weak. Not every charismatic, not every prophet, the collective we lacks credibility because they don't pursue excellence in prophetic ministry. It's sloppy prophecy. And I think one of the key things is now everybody has a platform because of social media. You know, 25 years ago, if you were going to be a prophetic voice, there were some procedures and steps and some accountability that you had to go through in order to have a validated, credible, prophetic voice. It didn't necessarily immunize people from getting into error, but it was harder to gain an audience back in the day. Now, anybody with a Facebook page or a Snapchat or, excuse me, a TikTok or a Twitter, anybody can be a prophet, a self-titled, self-endorsed, self-called prophet. And the fact is, is there's some people with some prophetic gifting that the first time they hear the Lord at level one, they proclaim it at level 10. And that it's almost like they elbow their way to the front of the line saying, I just got this word from the Lord five minutes ago. It's got to be released. And they don't even honor the one giving the word enough to slow down and let him marinate them in it. But they just have a desire to be heard. They got to get their name out there. Or maybe it's just that they have this, this passion. They have a zeal, but not according to knowledge. If you're young and prophetic, I'm going to give you some counsel. Pursue prophecy. Get in the secret place. Stay alone with the Lord. Abide. But consider that not everything you hear from him is meant for public consumption. Not everything you hear from God is meant to be released. And what is meant to be released doesn't have to be released immediately. Um, I think two episodes ago on Mavericks and Misfits, I got... I released a word that I got on a Sunday morning um, back in October. And I sat on that thing. Amy asked me about it because I told her I was getting downloads from the Lord that Sunday morning. And she asked me, hey, can you share me, with me what it is? And I said, baby, I need to spend some time processing this with the Lord before I release it. And because my wife is prophetic and mature, she said, I understand. I'll pray for wisdom on it. And she didn't ask me about it again. 
And then about, I think about four or five days later, I told her what it was. And um, then a week after that, I think I did the podcast episode. Why? Because I knew I had heard the Lord, but I didn't, I didn't necessarily know who I was supposed to release it to. Now, forgive me for using that as an example. I'm not trying to make myself look good, but I'm just saying that should be normal. That should be the normal way we process things that we hear from the Lord. You hear it and then you pray through it. You investigate it biblically. You go back to the Lord because if he gave you the word, he's going to give you understanding about what to do with it. And then you, you, you wait until you have the release of the Holy Spirit to, to share it. Because when it's shared, it shouldn't be the spark. It should be the flame. And a spark becomes a flame when it hits something and when time allows it to grow. And a lot of people are just tossing out prophetic sparks that aren't really serving the body of Christ well. And sadly, there are even among our day today, people that are just, they feel this compelling to put out something prophetic every two days. And they operate with a lot of pressure. Listen, if you're prophetic and you have people around you that are drawing on you like a water fountain trying to refresh their dry soul, when, when they ask you for a word don't make something up. Let the word you give them. If you don't have a word, don't bow to the pressure of them needing a word. Here's the word when you don't have a word. You give them the word, open your Bible and pray for God to speak to you. Because he'll do that every time. So these prophets back in the day were not willing to give the whole counsel. And guys, I just think we're living in a similar time period. So some of you are all about the father heart of God, which is a valid, much needed theme in a generation of Christian orphans. I'm talking spiritual orphans. We need to get reacquainted with the heart of, of Papa God, if I can say it that way, Abba Father. And we don't need to be spiritual orphans. We need to know we're sons and daughters. I love that message. But you know what I found? I found that people that that is their primary message, they bristle when somebody like me comes in and says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, <laughs> you know, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded woe unto you scribes and Pharisees. You're like whitewashed sepulchers with the dead men's bones within. They're like, Hey, that's not really conveying the father heart of God. And I would say, no, it's declaring the whole counsel of God because the father is also the righteous judge. And so we tilt, we all tilt one way or another. I mean, I have, to, I have to discipline my own soul. When I've heard the ninth message on the sweetness and gentleness and forbearance and patience and kindness and gentleness of God, when I've heard that nine times in a row from a particular prophetic person, I'm not thinking of an individual, I'm just saying in general, that stereotypical person who always and only prophesies the gentler side of God, so to speak, I have to discipline myself and say, well, maybe that's exactly what God's speaking to her. Maybe that's exactly what God wants her to speak. And just because it isn't my particular lane doesn't mean it's not God. And what I would love to know, because I can never judge anybody else's heart, I would love to know how does that particular prophet or prophetess feel when they have to listen to somebody like me challenging, provoking, and confronting? Do they say that could be the Lord? Because what the danger is, is we get myopic. We get nearsighted. We start thinking the, the only thing God is saying is what we are most easily able to hear him say. 
And sometimes you've got to lean in and get really still and quiet and, and just humble ourselves. We've got to recognize maybe God's saying something right now that's different than what my spiritual ear has been trained to hear from him. Because if you are the Papa heart of God, you know, prophet or preacher or pastor, you'll hear that easily. You'll sense it easily. It's become part of your, your, just the lens in which you view the kingdom and the world. Well, what if God wants to come to the Papa heart of God person and say, I want you to bring a fiery turn or burn message because the time is short. Would you do it? You may not be good at it. It may not please your flesh like Jonah, the prophet Jonah, Old Testament. He got a message to go to a people he didn't like with a message he didn't want. And he dug in his heels, ended up in a fish's stomach before he finally repented. But even at the end of the book of Jonah, he was, he was obedient, but his heart wasn't in it. But he did what God told him to do. We live in a day now where people don't feel it. They can end up in a fish for 12 days and say, well, I'm just not feeling it. I'm going to wait till I feel it. You know, it's, it doesn't feel right to me. Crucify your feelings. Crucify your feelings if that voice from your emotions has gotten louder than the voice of the Holy Spirit. And you won't know if that's the case until you get still and silent and wait on God to speak. Vending machine prophecies have got to go where you just put in a quarter of faith, pull a lever, and you get a prophetic word. We've got to start declaring the whole counsel of God. And that's why we need each other, by the way. Let me wrap up today by saying this is what's so important about fivefold ministry. Fivefold ministry, especially in the context of a local church, um, keeps the church from tilting out of balance in one particular direction. So a local church needs to have a representation of leadership, a pastoral leadership, caring about the flock, needs to have teaching leadership that is rightly dividing the word of truth and not failing to declare the whole counsel of God. There needs to be prophetic leadership. What is the Lord saying right now to this body of believers that we need to respond to? There needs to be evangelistic leadership. That means that people are leaving the four walls of the Sunday church meeting and going out and bringing the dying into the place where they come into contact with the King of Kings, who also is the Lamb of God who died for the sins of the world. And then apostolically, we've got to have that because you can have all those other things going on. But if you don't have apostolic directional missional uh, leadership, then what you end up with is a stagnant church. It's like an airplane that is full of all the right people, but never gets off the runway. And so when, when we operate as a fivefold team, and if you're a leader in a church, you need to hear me on this. You should be cultivating teams, especially especially if you're the primary leader, you need to be creating teams that are filled with people that are good at, skilled at, experienced at things that you're not good, skilled, and experienced at. You don't need five mini-me's. You don't need five five-fold leaders who all have the same five-fold gifting. We need each other. I've, I've taken so many diagnostic tests about you know where I fit on the fivefold and all of that. And listen, I, I just try to I try to focus on obedience. But I'm I'm 53 years old, and probably I started being a senior pastor 21 years ago, and I probably spent the first 17 of those 21 years thinking I had to do everything. I had to be uber pastoral. I had to be hyper evangelistic. I needed to teach and teach and teach and teach. I need to have the ear of the Lord and the voice of the Lord so I could prophetically declare what is God doing in our midst. And I had to be, um, you know, the, the consummate soul winner. And I had to, I forget, I left one off. Um, 
I had to be the, uh, you know, the apostolic missionally driven, where are we going? What is, what direction are we going? Kind of guy. And juggling those five things, when everybody in the church you're pastoring expects you to excel at all five, the one that they need the most. So the more needy people want you to be the doting pastor who's looking them eye to eye at every moment. The evangelistic people want you to go out knocking on doors and, you know, going to the homeless and going downtown and passing out food and gospel tracts and preaching on the street corner. The prophetic people just want to, you know, fast and pray and get in the prayer room, lay on their back and pray in tongues and get the word of the Lord. And the teaching people, they're just like, hey, man, hey, have you checked out the the Greek on this? And what are you getting on the Greek? And let's form up a matter of fact, let's see if we can preach a message in Greek or Aramaic or Hebrew. And uh, let's go into historical context and let's just let's have a never ending um, untethered Bible study where we go deeper and deeper, always deeper, never forward. That's the danger of, of somebody who only sees teaching always deeper, never going forward. And then of course, apostolic people are like, Hey, we hadn't done anything new in about, you know, six weeks. What's the, what's the fresh mission? What's the thing? And all those people want to draw on a singular leader, which is the model in most churches. And that's why pastors quit. Most pastors, well, I'm going to say most, many pastors aren't even pastors. I'm not a pastor. I've had that title from day one because that's the, that's kind of the, what we call in America, the person who's, whoever the point person is. I am not a pastor and people that have needed me to be super pastoral over the years have been very discouraged by my leadership. And so when, when you're operating on a team, you keep that church from becoming a church that fails to disclose the whole counsel of God. You need leadership in your life that is pastoral, prophetic, evangelistic. I know you're saved, but you need to be around evangelistic people to keep your fires for the lost burning. You need to be led in a church where there's a teaching emphasis, an actual teaching of the word of God and a prophetic emphasis that what is the rhema, not just the logos, but the rhema. And then, of course, you need to be in a church that has a purpose, like beyond gathering on Sundays. Like, what are y'all doing? Apostolic leaders will break down strongholds in regions and cities and establish righteousness. And typically, they move on to a new church after a certain time or a new calling after a certain time. They establish, they tear down, they build up, they establish, they train, they equip, and then they move to the next calling. So when I'm thinking about this, and I know I've been a little bit all over the map with this thing, but I'm, you know, I'm not coming at you from notes. I'm coming at you straight from what I sense the Lord saying right now. Um, you need to become a person who has a Christian who has an appetite for the whole counsel of God, not just the things that you like. Some of you are prophetic junkies. All you want to do is watch a YouTube video on the latest prophetic word. Grow up. You heard me. I said it with a little bit of edge. Grow up. Study your Bible. Open the Word of God. Some of you that all you want to do is just read and read and read and study and study and study. You need to, you actually need to, <laughs> this is going to tick some people off. You need to close your Bible from time to time and get into a prophetic environment where there's, there's actually the flow of the Holy Spirit and the move of the Holy Spirit. An intercession as the Holy Spirit leads. It can't always be a perpetual Bible study. Some of you guys that are like super pastoral, you need to get evangelistic. 
You need to recognize people die without the gospel. It's not just adding more comfort and layers of protection to your holy huddle that makes sheep feel valued and safe. Come on now. And evangelistic people, quit getting frustrated when pastors and teachers are actually opening the word of God and didactically teaching. And so I think by now, I hope I've offended at least one person in each of the major groups. <laughs> I say that tongue in cheek. You know what I'm doing? It's the same thing I do on every episode of Mavericks and Misfits. I'm provoking you. I'm provoking you unto love and good works. Hebrews chapter 10. That is our job, to provoke one another to love and good works. And every now and then we need to be taken by the spiritual caller, brought in close to the person, a voice of accountability and authority, and let them lean in and say, hey, now is the time to change. We'll talk to you next time on Mavericks and Misfits. Thank you for listening to today's Mavericks and Misfits podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, Please subscribe, rate, and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps us to reach more people and spread the unfiltered message of Jesus. And don't forget that you can connect with Jeff's social media links at maverickmisfit.com. We look forward to reconnecting with you on our next episode. 